0: Hey, Caucus fans, it's Robin Upsall, politics reporter at the Des Moines Register. This episode of Three Tickets, the Register's podcast about the presidential caucuses in Iowa, is another remaster of an episode by Jason Noble from the 2016 cycle. This is a personal favorite of mine. It's about the journalists. The promise of media coverage brings candidates to Iowa, and candidates in Iowa draw even more media. It's fun. But before we get to the episode, we want you to know about one major change up front. In 2015, Jason Noble did an interview with Mark Halperin, then a managing editor at Bloomberg News. The first part of this podcast included his observation on the caucuses, the state fair, and the Iowa restaurant scene. Since three tickets originally came out, more than a dozen women accused Halperin of sexual harassment or assault at the workplace. Halperin who has left Bloomberg before allegations rose, was fired from his role as a commentator for NBC, ABC, and HBO. We edited Halpern out of the podcast and have relied on other sources. Beyond that, most everything in the episode remains the same. I'll be back at the end with a couple of comments. Thanks and enjoy the episode.
1: The principal players in the Iowa Precinct Caucuses are the candidates running for president, and the Democratic and Republican activists supporting them. Of course they are. But for better or worse, the news media, the reporters writing stories, the producers feeding video, and the editors in Des Moines or New York or D.C., play a near-equal role in making the caucuses matter. As we've already talked about in this series, the caucuses are important in large part because the National Political Journalism Establishment says they are and because that establishment keeps sending reporters out here to cover them. The truth is, the journalism establishment loves Iowa. Reporters from New York and Washington love coming out here to cover presidential politics. And that, unquestionably, is a big reason why Iowa has remained first in the nation for the last five decades. The question is, why? What's so great about Iowa? Could it be as simple as, a
2: food? Again, just speaking as you know, reporters are like an army that travels on its stomach, right? So we all care about that a lot. The other thing is...
3: You know, you can't go wrong with, with Luca and, and Centro and Alba. I mean, there's just so many great restaurants.
1: That was John Heilman of Bloomberg Politics and Alex Moe of NBC News. And they're all right. The food is good. Especially, I'm told, compared to New Hampshire. But there's a lot more to it than that. This is Three Tickets... The Des Moines Register's podcast of Iowa caucuses history and culture. I'm Jason Noble.
4: Coming up next on C-Span, we take you live to Iowa.
0: Iowa. <laughs> Hello, Iowa. Hello,
4: Iowa.
5: In the state of Iowa,
4: I'm back.
5: I love Iowa a whole lot. Tomorrow, Iowa.
1: In this series, we're meeting the people and hearing the stories behind Iowa's first-in-the-nation caucuses, the pretty amazing but sort of absurd political contests that have kicked off the presidential nominating process since the 1970s. In this episode, we're considering the media's role in the caucuses and talking to reporters about what it's like to spend a year chasing candidates across 99 Iowa counties. I caught up with several of the reporters we're going to hear from in August during the Iowa State Fair which every four years turns into a parade of presidential candidates. Reporters show up by the hundreds for the fair because, of course they do. You couldn't contrive a more made-for-cable TV spectacle even if you tried. There's deep-fried food, carnival games, farm animals, and tens of thousands of average Iowans with unscripted stories and questions. But you got to help people like us. That's a guy who calls himself Mr. Peacock. He's a peacock farmer and ran into Jeb Bush one morning by the Farm Bureau tent on the fairgrounds.
2: Absolutely. Where's your, where's your where's your, uh, your farm work? Minden,
1: Iowa. Come see me. I'd love to see a peacock Western farm. Iowa. Yeah, Nobody comes going? to Western
2: Iowa, so
6: come to Minden, Iowa. Mr. Peacock, pfowl.com. All
1: right. Uh, thank you. You're on.
6: You, I'm sorry. These are the moments reporters to come
1: to, say Iowa, say to say say Iowa, Iowa to see. Pfowl.com. Jeb Bush meets Peacock Man at Iowa State Fair. That headline writes itself.
6: No, I wasn't here. It
1: was a I spent two days at the fair this year, trailing Bush and fellow Republican presidential candidate Lindsey Graham. What I saw is an exaggerated but still representative example of what it's like to cover Iowa. Bush wandered around the fair for the better part of four hours, dragging a crowd of perhaps 20 reporters along with him. I snapped a photo from his press conference on the Grand Concourse. It shows him completely surrounded by reporters and cameras, with six boom mics looming over his head. At around 9 that morning, Bush wandered over to a vendor selling deep fried Snickers bars. He ordered one, paid for it, and very carefully leaned in to take a bite. Even on audio tape, you can trace his movements by the sound of the clicking camera shutters. <laughs>
5: They should sell this
6: outside the fair.
3: then it wouldn't be a treat. Huh? Once a year.
6: One more bite.
1: Alright.
0: What was that (laughs) you were eating, sir?
2: That was a Snickers bar done the right
1: way. Not long after that, Bush passed by the bud tent.
2: 27 degree okay. cold beer. That's not possible. Might not is be it? on a stick, but it's damn cold. How do
5: you get 27 degrees? I don't know my. I don't know my. Uh... The guy
2: invented the refrigeration system. The owner did. Really? Yeah.
5: does it it all never freeze. Yesterday. It just stays.
2: Yeah, it circulates it. What time is it too early in the morning to drink beer? If you're going to be accused of drinking all day, you got to start early in the
5: morning. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be back. All right, Thank Jim. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This way, Governor.
1: Does this help explain the national press's appreciation for Iowa? Where else could Jeb Bush down a deep-fried candy bar and drink a beer at 10.30 in the morning? Where else would he do something like that? The fair is just one example of how retail politics dominate in Iowa. That means campaigning is done to a greater extent in person rather than on TV. Even in Iowa, though, that access can take extra effort. And that's part of the appeal too.
2: Here's Heileman. You can, you know, you can get a lot more access to to candidates if you're willing to get in the car and drive three hours or four hours. Mm-hmm. You can often get things that you could that you can't get anywhere else, and you can't even really get in Des Moines because there are a lot more reporters here. And I think for, to illustrate for the point,
1: Heileman recalled a trip to Sioux City with Barack Obama two in December 2007.
2: Still, because of the fact that it's you know a schlep to get up to Sioux City and and the northwest corner of the state,
5: right.
2: um, there were you know, beyond the embeds, there were like no national reporters traveling with Obama and for about, you know, 36 hours. I was the only, you know, non-embed non national reporter who was with him, and everybody was with This him was back just back weeks before the 2008 Obama, caucuses, just as Obama was emerging Obama as the frontrunner. At that point, you, you know, I sat and had a drink with him at a Holiday Inn, um, and that, you know, is something that you can never, after Iowa, and even really after Iowa, it's impossible because by the time you get to the New Hampshire primary, then you've got a giant media swarm, you know, in that immediately. And platform. on top of that, great and access...
1: And that trip out to rural, conservative Northwest Iowa told Heilman something important about Obama's campaign, something he never would have picked up watching the race from New
2: York or Washington or even Des Moines. He filled up the big, like I think it's the Orpheum or whatever the big theater is there in Center Town. He filled that place up with with... With college kids, the level of enthusiasm, you know, that place was packed with people. And, you know, at that point, Hillary Clinton was still leading the polls or John Edwards. He was not, he was in second or third, Mm -hmm. but the degree I I could, at that moment, I looked around and thought I could not imagine either one of them in that corner of the state on a really cold night in like the third week of December in Sioux City, filling that place like to, you know, like standing room capacity with people who were out of control. And I, again, I wasn't like, I thought, oh, he's going to win the caucuses, but I thought there's something going on here. And Highleman noted that the caucuses endure even during long stretches in which the results
1: fail to predict the ultimate nominee. It
2: seems to me that the, the, the truth is that, like, especially on the on the Republican side, the track record recently of, of nominees, of winners of the Iowa caucuses becoming nominees is not great, right? Mm-hmm. And yet the caucuses continue to be really important, which... Tells you something that seems to me about some of the enduring values of what of the fact that reporters and candidates do still see the value of it. Even you know on a purely rational basis, if you look yeah. back at that track record, you would think there are reasons that you might no longer invest in Iowa or skip Iowa or whatever. And yet people keep coming back. So why do they keep? What coming reporters back? and well, candidates have realized
1: is that the Iowa caucus exercise is valuable in and of itself, regardless of the final results. Candidates are tested in countless ways that prepare them for the gauntlet ahead. And as long as those interactions, that access and intimacy, is still part of the Iowa campaign, reporters and candidates alike have a stake in seeing it continue. I just happened to run into Chuck Todd, the moderator of Meet the Press and another Washington D.C. Bigfoot who frequently finds himself in Iowa. I interviewed him in the blazing sun just outside the bud tent, a few minutes after we witnessed Jeb throw back a mid-morning Budweiser. Turns out Todd's been covering the Iowa caucuses since 1992. And he loves it. Even the much maligned and since-abandoned Ames Straw Poll, that circus-like event in August that the media covered as an early test of organizational okay. strength.
6: Look, I was a big fan of the Straw Pole, and the 99 Straw Pole was my first one. And it was... I didn't realize how... And that became this barbecue... Um, it became a barbecue competition. Everybody was flying in what they claimed to be the best barbecue guy. And Buchanan brought in a guy from South Carolina. And Forbes bought some guy from North Carolina. And Lamar had Tennessee people. And George W. had some Texas. And it was like... And I'm thinking, this is what voting should always be about. <laughs> Barbecue. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like
1: the food. Day, like, Beyond that, look, what's the appeal?
6: Nothing you know, Iowa is the caricature of the Midwest, in a positive caricature of the Midwest, to New, York, to New Yorkers and Washingtonians. Okay? I say this, I feel like I can say it a little bit better, because I was, my father was born and raised in Waterloo. Oh, boy. Here's Chuck Todd claiming Iowa heritage. Is he running for president? I was, my father was born and raised in Waterloo. I, I always joke I was raised Iowa. I may have grown up in Miami, but I was raised Iowa. And so Iowa has all of the hallmarks of, of the Norman Rockwell version of the Midwest, cornfields,
1: nice people. Uh, well, now, that's actually a refreshingly blunt explanation. The caucuses endure because we Iowans conform to coastal stereotypes. Uh, we fit the narrative. It's also, by the way,
6: there is a moderate, there's a moderation to the state that we expect of the Midwest in general in the country. The Midwest has been sort of, it's been the cooling, the geographic cooling saucer of America in different ways politically over the years. And so, I think there is an acceptance that, okay, Iowa is responsible enough to handle this task.
1: I, I think One knock against Iowa is the idea that it's unrepresentative of the rest of the country because it's so rural and has little racial or ethnic diversity. But it is diverse in other ways, Todd said. You know,
6: there's something at least about Iowa you feel as if, well, it is a swing state. There's also ideological diversity inside. There's a strong conservative movement. There's a strong progressive movement. So it becomes a fair test. So there's a lot, you know, like I said, I can make very strong arguments uh, for why Iowa is better at being first than 49 other states.
1: Here's just one more what-does-it-all-mean point about the role of the media in the caucuses. Journalists have immense power in interpreting the meaning and significance of caucus night results for the American people. Basically, the caucuses mean whatever their journalistic observers say they mean. That's why Jimmy Carter's second place finish in 1976 was a springboard to the White House, while Howard Dean's third place finish in 2004 was a campaign killer. What I'm talking about here are expectations and conventional wisdom. Here's David Yepsen, the longtime Des Moines Register columnist. Reflecting on Dean's candidacy in 2004,
5: that, um, Dean finished third, and it was uh, you know considered a loss. Uh-huh. And but
1: and it drummed him out of the race. It
5: did. And in fact, I I talked to Howard Dean at uh, the national convention after that, and I said, How, "What happened?" And he said, "You know, David, if you'd have told if you'd have told me when I first met you, and came out there, came out there, that I that I would finish in third place, everybody who thought you were crazy, I wouldn't have believed you." I'd have seen that as a great victory. Mm-hmm. and so The problem
1: for the Dean problem for was that he Dean peaked to too early. Uh, as soon as he started looking like a legitimate contender, the reporters turned up the expectations. And he couldn't deliver.
5: Uh, he, there was an expectation that he could win and would win, and so when he didn't meet that expectation, it was considered uh, a defeat. But the expectations game, beating the expectations, surprising media people with the results, uh, is a, the secret to success of, of a campaign in the state.
1: This has been true throughout the history of the caucuses, going all the way back to George McGovern in 1972. The momentum that carried George H.W. Bush to the vice presidency began with his expectations-beating performance in Iowa. Bob Dole still believes he was denied the full benefit of his 1988 caucus victory because of the attention lavished on Pat Robertson and his surprise second-place finish. It's okay, though, that the media has this power to establish conventional wisdom, though, because they're so thoughtful and reasonable about how they exercise it.
5: Right, David? Piece of history. The Savory Bar uh, was, uh, we, we jokingly put it on the National Register of uh, Politically Important Historic Places uh, as a birthplace of conventional wisdom in American politics. Uh, that oh. yeah. People ask me, how did expectations get set? I said it takes many hours of expense account dinners, uh, lots of liquor. Uh, lots of discussion among reporters between reporters and 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 political the political community before you develop this expectation and it well up. that seems totally legit
1: now let's hear what it's like to cover the caucuses to get the national perspective. I knew I had to talk to Alex Moe.
3: Um, I'm a producer for NBC News. Currently, I'm based um, at Capitol Hill. However, I am traveling for 2016 as well, mostly covering Hillary Clinton with um, the correspondents that cover her. But
1: I've We met at a bakery in Des Moines during the state fair. She was in town not to cover Hillary Clinton, but because she wanted to go to the fair. Seriously. Moe is an Iowa enthusiast, a convert. She's originally from Maryland, and she obviously lives in D.C. now. But if I need a Des Moines restaurant recommendation, I still trust her judgment over just about anybody who actually lives here. She arrived in 2011 as a campaign embed for NBC, assigned to live in Iowa and cover the caucuses. To say that she lived here, though, doesn't quite do justice to her situation.
3: So I lived at the embassy suites on the river in the East Village. Yes, there's an East Village in Des Moines, um, which lots of my friends would be like, is that New York? I'm like, no, it's Iowa. Um, and MSC Suites was my home away from home. It was
1: Alex Moe lived in a hotel, suite, so a pretty nice hotel, but still a hotel for months, for the entire time that she covered the Iowa caucuses. Well,
3: because I literally did not have a kitchen. So I, was a little bit skeptical about living in a hotel. It's not as glamorous as you might think. You obviously do have someone that comes and you know cleans your room, and you have the the folks at the front desk who are always you know checking in on you and saying hi. But you know you are confined to that little space that's not quite yours, but kind of yours. Um, but I think adding the it, I tried to make it as much of like an apartment as I as I could. Um, but you know eating out every day, and I learned which restaurants were closed on Sundays, which surprisingly are a lot. Yeah. And um,
1: For every presidential campaign, NBC and the other networks select a handful of usually younger reporters to go out on the trail and compile the raw materials of TV political journalism.
3: There were eight embeds for NBC. There were two of us that lived in Iowa full time, and then we had someone that lived in New Hampshire and someone in South Carolina, and then the others were what we call man to man. So they were assigned to specific candidates like Romney and, and Rick Perry, and um, we were considered uh, zone coverage candidates. So a little. Basket.
1: Alex was one of the first national reporters I encountered when I started at the Register. And I feel like we sort of figured out the caucuses together in that fall of 2011. She was 23 when she came out to Iowa. And she's the first to admit that she was a bit naive about
3: it. I moved on July 29, 2011. I had absolutely no idea anything about Iowa at all. I would like to say that when I drove away from the airport, I saw a drive through Starbucks, and I thought, thank goodness they have Starbucks here.
1: On the Iowa beat... She was thrown into the deep end of presidential politics almost immediately.
3: Right, so I um, would go out to the event and I would shoot the event with my camera. I would usually feed it back live with a live view, which is essentially a portable satellite truck. Um, So I'd be able to put that up live from wherever I was in the state. Then I would write an editorial note back to NBC that just said the, you know, kind of who, what, when, where, and if anything crazy happened or notable, and would send that out, and if there was something notable that happened, I would write a piece for the website on that. So I was kind of the a central one-man band uh, for the different events. So, like I said, some days I would cover two events, some days I'd cover seven events, some days I wouldn't have any events.
1: The text and video produced by Alex and her compatriots could show up just about anywhere across NBC. The Nightly News, The Today Show, Meet the Press, The Website, MSNBC all of it sometimes they broadcast live from Alex Moe's live
3: view. I remember you know the Iowa State Fair Sarah Palin came and it was a huge to do because no one knew if she was going to run yet or not going to run and I found her in one of the cattle barns for the, the I was the first reporter to find her and I had a live view so I was sending it back live with my camera and it was going out on MSNBC live and People were like, MSNBC's with Palin, where is she, where is she? And all of a sudden it went from just me with her to literally a hundred cameras and reporters mobbing her for the next, you know, however many hours she was at the fair. So um, it is pretty, it was pretty cool.
1: It's one of those experiences you look back on and you can't quite believe it actually happened. She covered Newt Gingrich in a virtual reality demonstration with Yoda from Star Wars. She watched Rick Santorum strike out three times in an 1800s-style baseball game. And amid all the work, and I think this is really a credit to Alex, she found a community.
3: Well, that was, that's what was so neat about Iowa is that so many people do move here just for a few months, and so everyone's kind of looking to make a group of friends because their friends are in one of the other you know, states in the country. So... That was great to not only be friends with the NBC folks that would come into town covering Bachman or Perry, but then also with the other reporters, and then also people from other networks, even from some of the parties. I mean, it was just like all the younger people kind of clicked and would do trivia or go to Zombie Burger or, you know...
1: Zombie Burger, another great Des Moines restaurant. Mo didn't even get to go home for Christmas. The caucuses were eight days later, there was just too much work to my do. Family,
3: I couldn't go home for Christmas 2011, so my family flew out to Iowa, and we spent Christmas in my hotel room. I bought a tree. I got stockings. My brother was very little.
1: They ate Christmas dinner with yeah. other stranded reporters. You know, an sure. Iowa expatriates feast.
3: But, you know, it was. I was really happy to share it with my family and let them see what I had been doing and living, and and so that they understood, like, yes, Des Moines is everything I say it is. Like, it's fun. And,
1: and then suddenly. The caucuses were here.
3: So I was with Newt Gingrich that day and we went to like Black Hawk County and then we came back to Des Moines. I remember I had 15 minutes to run into the embassy suites and pack my stuff and put it on the bus because after his speech we were flying straight to New Hampshire to spend the next...
1: Weeks. Six months in a place and 15 minutes to leave. Such is the life of a national political reporter.
3: And I just, I didn't even know what to do. I was like mixed emotions. Like, I can't believe I'm leaving, but I didn't have enough time to actually, you know, react because I had 15 minutes to go back up to my room.
0: Mo
1: followed Gingrich for as long as he lasted and then switched over to covering Republican vice presidential candidate Paul Ryan in the general election. It was exhilarating, exhausting, endless. But it came with one really great perk.
3: Oh, Hilton. The Embassy Suites really was my home. I mean, I come back here now and Eddie and Cameron at the front desk, they still give me the same room that I stayed in for six months. They always want to know about the other NBC embeds that came by all the time. So Hilton was obviously my go-to after that because living there for six months, I mean, I racked up a fair amount of loyalty points, which I happily used after the election and got to go on, like, a free trip to Costa Rica, which was awesome.
1: That's the national view. For the local perspective, I turn to Kay Henderson, who exemplifies the way the caucuses can give state and local reporters here in Iowa a national reach and a national reputation. And who, full disclosure, is one of my favorite people in the whole universe of journalism. Kay is just great. One of the sweetest, nicest, toughest, sharpest journalists you'll ever come across. Mary Poppins crossed with Tim Russert. Kay Henderson is the news director at Radio Iowa, a sort of state news wire service for Iowa radio stations. Her voice is heard on more than 50 stations across the state, small ones mostly. AM and FM, from Albia to Webster City.
4: I direct our coverage. Uh, Some people might consider me a political director. I do most of our political reporting. I manage, as news director, the newsroom staff.
1: For pretty much anyone else, anywhere else, that could be a pretty sleepy, low-profile assignment. But not for Kay Henderson in Iowa.
4: Uh, but I I spend a vast share of my time in the year preceding a presidential election year covering the presidential campaign.
1: Uh, That means tuning into a national story and becoming immersed in it for months at a time.
4: There is no real typical day. It might start with reading the iPhone in bed at 4 a.m., just to make sure you haven't missed anything. Um, It may end at 4 a.m., on the same day. So there, there really is no typical day. I remember in 2007, I believe it started snowing shortly before Thanksgiving, and I really didn't notice that it was snowing a lot until January 4th, the day after the caucuses. I thought, man, there's a lot of snow on the ground. You just don't notice things. You just literally and figuratively plow through I asked her
1: when she started covering the caucuses, and she said it was the day she walked into the Radio Iowa newsroom. Really? Her first day?
4: My first real job was with Radio Iowa. I started in 1987. My first day in the newsroom was in June of that year. The news director of Radio Iowa had two straws in his hand, and he approached me and reporter Todd Kim, and had us draw straws. And one of us covered the Republican field and the other covered the Democratic field.
1: She drew the Democratic straw, and then she was on the trail, including at the party's Jefferson Jackson dinner um, that year.
4: You know, I remember the J.J. at which all the candidates were asked if they had smoked pot. Uh, because Paul Simon actually admitted to what I believe would be a felony. He admitted, as a as a youngster in Illinois, he and his chums had gone around blowing up mailboxes as a as a little thing to do in their spare time. Um, also, in
1: 1987, she began appearing on Iowa Press, Iowa Public Television's Sunday Public Affairs Show, where she's now a regular interviewer and panelist. Uh,
4: interviewed the likes of. Bob Dole and Ross Perot and John Kerry and uh, you name it on the program uh, because they've had a parade of presidential candidates come through over the years. And Hillary Clinton,
1: John McCain, Newt Gingrich, Michelle Bachman. Here she is grilling Clinton in late December 2007. Campaign
4: trail. Now, recently you've brought two family members who had been sort of shielded from the public eye, your daughter Chelsea and your mother Dorothy Rodham, out onto the campaign trail. Why shouldn't we see that as an act of desperation or or panic on the part of your campaign and the way it was truly on the part of the
0: dean campaign? Well, there's no basis for that. You know, um, I... See
1: what I mean about Kay being a tough reporter? I pity any candidate who walks into a Radio Iowa interview expecting to swing away at softballs. But what's really fascinating about the journalistic space Henderson occupies is the sharply diverse audiences that she serves. Only in Iowa, I think, can one person be the political beat reporter for farmers on their tractors, the tough-but-fair questioner for public television news nerds, and a go-to source for the National Press Corps in Washington. For decades now, Kay Henderson's work has been getting national attention.
4: Uh, In the 1992 campaign, I believe, uh, there was some interest outside the state of Iowa from other radio entities, and then shortly after that, a a fellow named Chuck Todd from the hotline uh, asked me to start faxing him my radio scripts.
1: (laughs) Yep, that's the same Chuck Todd. Sort of a, and then there was that interview she did with Ann Romney in 2012 seven, during Ann the general Romney election. Event.
4: At which I was the last in a series of individual interviews she did. And she answered a question that I asked um, in a way that made national, international news. She was still answering questions about it from Jay Leno a few days later. It made that much news. What
1: was that? Does that ring a bell? I can- Here's Kay's question and Romney's famous answer. That's what
4: I'm doing. It's one thing to be criticized by the other side, but recently there have been criticism from fellow Republicans, Peggy Noonan saying time for an intervention. Bill Crystal saying things like arrogant and stupid. I mean, what do you say to your fellow Republicans who are Stop it. This is hard. You want to try it? Get in the ring. This is hard.
1: And That exchange was first heard by Henderson's Radio Iowa listeners. But then it blew up. You probably heard about it on Saturday Night Live. In an interview Thursday, Ann Romney responded to criticism of her husband's presidential campaign, saying, stop it, this is hard. You want to try it? Get in the ring. In response, the interviewer entered the race and is leading Mitt Romney by five points. (laughs) Seth Meyers joked that you're running for president. What did that feel like, Kay Henderson?
4: It, it, it was, yeah, it is a little strange to to pull out a mild word to describe it. It was um, almost incomprehensible to be sitting on my couch at home watching Saturday Night Live with a friend, and then having this interview brought up during Weekend Update.
1: That wasn't even the end of it. Later on in that same episode, a fake Ann Romney came out to continue the joke. <laughs> Now, your harshest words were saved for Republicans who aren't getting behind Mitt as the nominee. Do you regret those comments?
0: You know, I don't. And if you don't mind, I'd like to speak to those critics again tonight. Sure. Do you really think this would be going better if you had nominated someone else? Who? Rick Santora. Are you thinking you missed the boat with Newt Gingrich? If you think I'm unrelatable, check out Callista Gingrich. She looks like a character from Mars Attacks. <laughs> at least my hair moves. Seth, look at this. Oh, yeah, that's, that's very nice. It's better than nice. It's freaking awesome. Okay. You guys wish Ron Paul was still running? Well, guess what? He probably is, because he's a lunatic who doesn't understand how voting works.
1: I ask Kay why, given all the experience she's gained here and the expertise she now has on national politics, why she's never left Iowa for a bigger place or a more prestigious posting. She said there were family reasons and because Radio Iowa has always been good to her. But also because what she gets to do here can't really be replicated That's anywhere
4: else. The other reason is I do think there's something valuable in having um, a history in a place and knowing where the potholes are for a candidate even before they may know where they are. Um, and I, I find it infle- infinitely interesting. It's almost like being a sociologist to see how candidates take whatever talents or attributes they have and bring them on the road here in Iowa and see how they test out. Um, It's really interesting.
1: I'm Jason Noble, and this is the Des Moines Register's Three Tickets Podcast. Next time, we're going out on the road to understand why it's so important in Iowa to campaign in person. Our guide for the trip will be U.S. Senator Chuck Grassley, the originator of The Full Grassley, the 99-county endurance test of Iowa.
0: Just a few quick notes. As of late 2019, John Heilman was the host and executive producer of Showtime's The Circus, a weekly documentary about presidential politics. Chuck Todd... Alex Moe, and Kay Henderson all worked in the same positions they had when this podcast was originally recorded. Before we end, I want to make sure I thank everyone who helped us with this episode of Three Tickets. Thank you first and foremost to Katie Aiken, the producer of this episode. Thank you also to Rachel Stassenberger, politics editor at the Des Moines Register, Paige Windsor, our news director, and Carol Hunter, the paper's executive editor.